0: Glad that you are joining us today, whether it's in person, if you're here, welcome, if you're online, glad that you're with us as we continue this series. Before we jump into the message, however, I want to do a little bit of shout-out, a little bit of family business here. As Scott already talked about, uh, we have a thriving uh, student ministry, and this coming uh, next week in the evening... It is our honor to host the area-wide, and there are youth groups coming from all around, not just locally and in town, but from uh, Waco and Gatesville and places like that. They're coming to this area that we get to host. And this is not just simply a chance for us to host something. This is a chance for our students to put into practice what one of aspects of our vision part of our vision as a church is that everyone is participating to lead someone else into a relationship with jesus and so this is an opportunity for our students to be inviting a school friend somebody that's on their one of their sports teams to come and participate in this it's going to be an incredible event that justin and the team has got got planned and prepared They're going to hear about Jesus. It's going to be incredible. So I want you to know about it for a couple reasons. One, because it's just really cool that this is something our church is doing. But secondly, and the more important reason is I want you to be praying about it. I want you to be offering up prayers for God to be at work in the lives of these students as we impact a generation for Jesus and everyone participates in leading one to Christ. Well, today we're going to dive into Our everyday disciple, everyday series, and we've been using these um, scripture journals, and I hope that you've been blessed with this. Uh, This is technically today is going to conclude this series. This will be the last one in this series, and then we've got a couple of weeks, and then we start getting into a lot of the end of school stuff. We'll have our senior Sunday, we'll have Mother's Day, and then we're almost to the summer where we launch into our new summer. Uh, Series which will be called uh, Desperate, and you're going to want to be a part of that. Brandon Reynolds, our preaching intern, is taking the lead on that one, and he has already crafted several things that I've gotten to be a part of, seeing what he's developing for that. And it's going to be a series where we talk about what does it mean to be desperate for God. But between them, we've got the last couple... After today, I've got a couple more Sundays in... in April, and even though that we're technically wrapping up the series today, it strikes me that in your scripture journals, there's a whole nother letter included called Second Thessalonians, and so think of this as bonus content material, okay, so I don't want you to forget your scripture journal next week. I want you to bring it, and I'm going to present two messages out of Second Thessalonians, uh, this is a, will be great to hear what Paul continues to write to these Christians in Thessalonica. And so I want you to just keep bringing your scripture journals, and we're going to dive in. That way, when you go back and pick up your scripture journals later, your, the second half of the journal has markings in it too. How about that? And that way we can feel like we completed completed the assignment. I want to remind us where we were last week because it's important of where we go this week. Because last week we celebrated Easter, but we looked at a passage in this letter of First Thessalonians, and the idea was that God's call for us, and Paul is encouraging these Christians that have gathered in the city to rise and shine. And so last week we talked about the power of Easter, and we realized that everyday disciples, and that's the ordinary Christians, the the scriptures in the New Testament are not written to super-Christians. They're not written to those that only float three feet off the ground, and they've never experienced heartache, and they've never experienced sin, and they've never experienced brokenness, and they've never experienced depression, and they've never experienced a challenge in their life, and everything's just gone smooth. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to think that, that really good church people... And people we see in Scripture are all just somehow not normal. And they're not us. But Paul is writing to a group that he says every day, ordinary, you included, disciples, followers of Jesus. We live in Easter hope every day. We live with this mindset that there is an empty tomb that was occupied only temporarily by Jesus. And that truth, that reality, that historical fact, changes everything after it. That's the call. That's the invitation. And so, it's important that we start there with that reminder from last week, and I've received some great encouragement from last week's message, and if you haven't had a chance to hear that, I want you to go back and go to our YouTube channel and find that message because there's a blessing there that Paul has for us in his teaching. And what's important to note is right after he lays out that hope that we have because there's an Easter that has happened and there's an Easter that is to come that will be the final Easter in which we experience the resurrection that is promised and signaled by that very first Easter, that hope that we have... He gives these final instructions. And it's easy, as we get into this, the part that I'm about to read, to think that this is a list, and the two don't have anything to do with each other. But I don't want us to, to lose sight of what happened. We talked about last week in the, half, the second half of 4 and the beginning of 5. So when you pick up, if you have your scripture journals, I want you to um, find, or if you have scripture journals, or your Bibles will be in chapter 5, verse 12. In the Scripture Journals, that's page 16. If you're one of our students and they have their journaling Bibles, uh, that's going to be 1498. That. Now, I'm going to read through this passage. And I encourage everybody all the time to circle and highlight some stuff. And you're going to see up here on the screen the words that I think are really important. Now, I'm not saying these are the only important words. They're just the ones that we're going to focus in on during the message. So if you want to follow along and you want to circle some of those or you want to write some notes about those, I definitely encourage that. But I wanted to read it through first. I'm going to read 12 through 28, and this wraps up this letter. This is his closing thoughts of this letter that he writes to these Christians that are experiencing persecution. And remember, when Paul writes the letter, his initial thought was, they're not going to be thriving very well because of the persecution. He gets word that they're actually thriving and growing. And so this is the letter that he sends to them with his instructions how to keep on keeping on. And this is how he ends it. And I'm going to read through it first so we can just get a sense of it, and then we'll go back and pick it, uh, pick it apart and learn some things from it. Chapter 5, verse 12 of Thessalonians. Let's see if I can find my page. Okay. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything... Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And he says, this is his goodbye. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's walk back through that in the time that we have have remaining. Again, this is a letter written to a group of Christians in a real time, in a real place, with real challenges in front of them. Sometimes I believe it's so easy to look at Scripture and think it's, it's a collection of nice sayings. And if you'll just adopt a few of these sayings, it'll make your day a little bit sweeter. That's not what Scripture is. Scripture is there to tell us the story of who Jesus is, why Jesus came, what Jesus wants to accomplish in your life... And in all of the cosmos. In all of eternity. And Paul is writing to a group of people in a real time, in a real place, with real problems, that are trying to live this out. They're trying to figure this out. And so he writes to what you and I would call a church. And it is so easy in our world today for churches to receive just such a bad rap. you agree? Now... I'm going to be fair right up front. I am aware, oftentimes, a church can earn its reputation as a, as a bad rap. There are times, and some of you have stories of wounds that were incurred because of how you were handled or mishandled or mistreated at a church. And there is a long line of sins, I know, that have, that have occurred by the church. At the same time... I don't think that we're supposed to throw out all the good just because there's some exceptions to what the church is supposed to be. The church is the place, it is the entity that Jesus said, I'm going to build. In Matthew, he says, I'm going to build my church. And I believe with every fiber in my being that is the church that provides the hope for the world because it is the church that is the representation in the body of Jesus in the world. And so even though, even though at times it looks like we're off track, it looks like we're the weak side, it looks like we've lost our way, I get it, I'm telling you that what Paul is sending instructions to this church that's in the shadow of the Roman Empire, that's in the shadow of a hedonistic culture, that's in the shadow of a culture that would embrace anything different and in opposition to worshiping a single God, especially a God that would send His Son to die upon a cross. They are just like us. That's why I believe these words are so powerful because I believe we live in a situation today where it would be very easy to embrace all kinds of different philosophies and views on life and, and varying um, approaches to life that compete for our attention. And Paul is writing to us as a church. And he is going to get very practical in this. He's going to be very pointed in this. And so, this is not something that we just kind of floats around esoterically above us. He is going to come down to where the rubber meets the road. This is how a church is to behave. And so, if you've got a story where you've been wounded by a church, or maybe you're suspicious of a church, I don't blame you. But I'm going to ask you to look at this scripture, and I'm going to ask all of us to take a look at this scripture, and be self-reflective. This is once again where we hold up a mirror in front of our face. Okay, very few of us actually enjoy that process, right? Anybody have one? My grandmother had one of those makeup mirrors that magnifies everything, and it had these different lights along the side. And I I guess you're supposed to adjust the light and see what the makeup would look in different kind of light. It was fascinating to me because it just like 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 pours, you know, just. (laughs) Just huge. Okay. That was fine as a kid. It's a little rough as an adult, right? Well, Paul's going to hold up a mirror to us. And the intent is not to make you feel guilty. Okay? There is nothing about this sermon, and there's nothing about what Paul writes here that is supposed to come across as shame on you. He is trying to pour into this church to say, this is is how you be church. This is how you live this out. This is how you live as Easter people. That's what he's going to preach here. And so, some of this, we may have to get some self-reflective and say, you know what, there's some places for us to grow in that. That's what this is about. So, the first thing that he does is he talks about Leadership. He says, we ask you both to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, we're going to come back to that word admonish because it shows up a couple places. But crew is saying that there's some among us that leads. We call those people in this church the shepherds, the, the elders. We're in about to conclude a process right now where we've been prayerfully looking for new shepherds to rise up among us and to join the remaining three. And add to a new two, so we'll have five total. I want what I take away from this. I'm just going to do just a quick note because we've done a lot about shepherds recently. But throughout Paul's writings, through all the Paul writes most of the letters of the New Testament. Through all Paul's writings, he has a special place for the shepherds. Not that they're holier than thou, but their task is a difficult task. And so he is simply saying to the rest of the church, you want to to support your leaders? You want to be the right kind of church? You want to be a church that matters? Respect, encourage your leaders. Not because they're more holy than you, but because their task is a great task. As they have taken on the care of souls and the burden of, to lead and serve and share in this place. And so what Paul is trying to get through is not so much about leadership, but it's about our followership. Will you follow as a disciple of Christ? Will you come under, and here's the word, submission, and that's a word we want to push against, isn't it? Will you come under this as a member of the church. Not so they can lord it over you. That's what he says. This is not to lord it over. This is, this is not to rule over. But this is to serve and together this flock, this body of Christ grows together. Then he goes on he gets really practical. And here's here's one of the areas where I want us to dive, do the deep dive on. Uh, Pick it up verse 14. Verse 14 is full of of all kinds of instructions for us. And what verse 14 has, it's going to have four verbs in it that I want you to pay attention to. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, verb one, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Now, step back just for a second. Has anybody ever tried to learn... A new language. Yeah. <laughs> Tried. That's the word, right? On Sunday up here, our cleaning crew was up here, and I came in, and I was busy with him just briefly. And one of them is from El Salvador. And I'm talking to him in very good English. I mean, his English was excellent. I mean, he's we're able to communicate all the lines. So we visited a little bit. I wish him well. I turn around to... I'm about six steps down the hallway, and he's about to head out the door. And he says, oh, wait, do you speak Spanish? <laughs> oh, he caught me. And I was like, I can order at my favorite Mexican food restaurant. <laughs> That's about what I can do. And he started telling me about his Spanish, and he grew up with Spanish being his first language, and he talked about the different dialects. And And so I'm sitting there talking to him, realizing that that. He's, he's already got me beat by two languages, you know, as, as he's talking. And I thought back on my efforts to try to learn the basics. And when you try to learn a language, you've got to go with the basics and grammar and vocabulary. And it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult at times. As you start building up this wealth, and here's how the verbs work, and here's how the nouns work, and here's how the adjectives work, and in Spanish they're all backwards, it seems like. But you've got to learn those rules that then guide everything else. Okay? Remember, Paul's writing a church that when he had to leave that church, it was only somewhere between three weeks and three months old. They were all brand new in Christ. And what Paul is essentially encouraging them to understand is that it's learning a new language. There are some grammar rules there are some simple basics and vocabulary to live this out. That's what he's giving them in this part. He's, he's framing it away, and so the, he's taking them back to 101. This is the beginner's guide. That's what he's doing right there. And so look, he gives them these four things. Admonish. Um, he, wants you to, he wants to admonish, encourage, help, and be patient. Now, he's describing life... ...in the church. The first one. He says, I want you to admonish. Now, now that, that may cause some of you to, to recoil a little bit. Because admonish. Now, that's a good church word, isn't it? You admonish somebody in church, right? And we want to bristle with that a little bit... ...because it sounds like admonish should come with a shaking finger. Correct? I'm admonishing you. That's not what the word means. Now, there's a sense of a warning... There's a sense of a correction. I'm not saying this, not there. But the word comes from a military background when, when somebody falls out of line or falls behind in the march. And so there's very much this admonish, this warning, not with a shaking finger, but with a sense of care of trying to help them come back in and be part of the group, be part of the mission Be part of what's going on. It's an admonishment. It's more like a doctor would say when he admonishes you to exercise or take all the medicine. It's not a shame on you. I'm I'm so disappointed in you. It's more, it's a this is good for you. That's what this admonition is. And so he said, I want you to admonish those that are idle. Those that are falling out. Those that are... That are growing um, uh, lazy in this life. And we may not like to admit this, but we need somebody in our life that's willing to tell us the hard things, right? You need to have somebody in your life that's willing to get in the way and say, the road that you're traveling down, the behavior that you're engaged in, the decisions that you're making, these are not good for you, and I love you enough to have a very uncomfortable and difficult conversation with you right now. We all need somebody like that in our lives. Paul is saying the church does that. This is how the church is to behave with one another. We admonish one another. We encourage one another. And see, so, so he follows up with encourage the faint-hearted. Now, you it's easy to see in the word encourage is the word courage, right? When you encourage someone. You're building up their reserves to have courage to fight whatever fight they're in the middle of. Face whatever obstacle is in front of them. This is why I tell you all the time I am so grateful anytime I receive a text message, an email, a phone call, something on Facebook, however it comes to me, where something that I've said has blessed you and then you encourage me back by sharing that. That is fills my tank to get up here and do this again week after week after week. It is a blessing to me. You're increasing the courage, the stamina, the energy for this. You need somebody encouraging you in your life. Does anybody in here or watching online Do you struggle with just way too much encouragement every single day? Have you ever gone, if one more person encourages me, I'm going to lose it? No, it it sounds silly when we say it that way. Nobody struggles or suffers from an encouragement surplus. But we know very well what it's like to struggle from a deficit, don't we? And you feel like you constantly live at the bottom of the plate. Scraping. Desperate for something. He says, encourage one another. And he says, help those who are weak. This this is why the church serves in so many ways. That, That we're a group that's looking out not for those that are powerful... Not for those that are self-made, but for those that lack power, that lack resources, that lack the support network, whatever it is, and we can become people that come around them and support them. And then perhaps what is the toughest one of all, be patient with everyone. Be patient patient this is Paul's teaching to how to be church you admonish you encourage you help and you're patient with them all we are such an impatient people aren't we I mean we can sing worship songs and then well I'll just confess for me I won't confess for you okay I can be filled up in our worship together Be so encouraged and then be frustrated 30 minutes later in the line at lunch. Anybody else have this experience? It's like one moment I'm worshiping the risen king and then the next one I'm only worried about me and my kingdom. I'm not patient. And what Paul is saying here is that the encouragement is you learn how to be patient with all, because why? Because you're going to have people that do not yet know how to follow Christ coming in. They'll hear the message, they'll be excited about the message, they'll want the message, but they're not going to know all the behaviors yet. They're, they're not going to, they're not, their life's not going to come cleaned up. The greatest tragedy in church is that somehow we allowed the message to go out, that if you want to come to Christ, get your life together, and then come on in. That was never Jesus' approach. And if that's what you thought, I want to apologize on behalf of everybody that does what I do, that we should never have allowed that message to get out. We come into the body of Christ, we come into church, and then together, by the power of the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ, we then grow and he helps us clean up our act, or heal us and make us whole, and do all the things that happen after that. So, Paul's saying, you've got to be patient with that. It's, it's one of the reasons that, that we, we live in an instant world, and we want everything to happen so quickly. You have to understand, God doesn't have a stopwatch. He has a calendar. And we need to adopt more of a calendar mindset that says, God's at work. Even in that person that you're frustrated with, He's growing them and shaping them and bringing them along into the image of His Son. Paul says this is what church is like. So the takeaway that I want you to have for this is, every day, disciples need the church. You need to be a part of church. This is is not come to church because God takes attendance. You need to be a part because you need to be around people that are willing to have the difficult conversation with you, and encourage you, and be there to help, and they're going to be patient with you. That's why, everyday disciples, you need the church. You've heard me say before, I didn't write the line, but I repeat it all the time because it's so powerful. Your faith is not meant to be private. It's intensely personal, but it was never meant to be private. Because we need each other. This is why so often in all of Paul's other letters, he talks about becoming a part of the body of Christ. That just like my arm and my elbow form one. And I care about them both. I care about my ear and my big toe. Because they're both part of me and together it forms one. He says, this is how it is as we come together to be The body of Christ. So, everyday disciples, if we're going to live this out, you need the church. This is not a solo sport, this is a community journeying together. This is why Paul writes to the church here's how to live. And the reverse is true everyday, the church needs everyday disciples. The church needs, is, is coming together, not of super Christians, but of everyday disciples living this out. So, to put a finer point on it, the church needs you. And what you bring, and what God's doing in your life, there is, you need to receive the admonishment, and the encouragement, and the help, and the patience, and you need to be one that gives the admonishment, the encouragement the help, and the patience. Paul is writing this church, says, this is how you live in the shadow of what looks like an oppressive global entity called the Roman Empire that has all the resources, all the power, all the weapons. This is how you live, and you make a difference. Then he finishes out this way, and we'll finish out with this. In verse 16, he gives another list here, and I want to go over it with you real quick. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, that is a verse that many of you probably have heard, three verses together. In fact, if you ever want to memorize scripture, verse 16 is the one for you. Rejoice always. Two words. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, what I want to say here is I want to say rejoice most of the time. Pray often and give thanks in some of the circumstances. That's not what Paul says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God In Christ Jesus for you. He says, you want to be an everyday disciple? This is how you live it every day. You always rejoice. Now remember, rejoice and happy are not the same thing. Happy is based on your circumstances. Joy, rejoicing, is a choice you make. See, I want you to choose that. I want you to be in constant prayer. When it says prayer without ceasing, it's the idea not that you drive around town with your head bowed and your eyes closed, but there's this ongoing communication between you and God because Jesus opened up that avenue to us. He says, you pray without ceasing. You are in connection with your heavenly Father often and frequently as if it's an unbroken conversation. There's not a moment where you show up at church Now you're in connection with your father, but you get in your car and you drive away from church, and you're no longer in connection with your father. It's ongoing conversation with him. And then you give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it would be easy for these people to say, well, you give thanks when it's nice and when it's easy. But remember, they're under persecution. And Paul writes this from a prison. That's That's the context. He's under persecution himself, and yet he still says, "I want you to give thanks and rejoice." And he said, "And how can he even begin to say this? Remember, all this takes place because in chapter four and chapter five, what we talked about last week, the tomb is empty. Only under that circumstance, only with that truth, only looking through that lens. Is this even possible? And that's why you need to understand that Easter means you can rejoice, pray, and give thanks every day. That's what Easter means. And maybe to say it even better, or say it with more of a point, is Easter is not just a day, but it's a way of life. Easter is not just a day, but it's a way of life. As disciples of Jesus, we look through the empty tomb at all of life. And as we face some struggles, and I know there's some difficulties that you face, and I'm not minimizing any of those. But we don't face those head on. We face those from the perspective of the empty tomb. And through the perspective of where Jesus laid for three days, dead, and then rose again in power to be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, everything else goes into its appropriate perspective. And he says he's removed the sting of death even. And so with that, we can rejoice on what? Not that your situation is great, but that the tomb's empty. We can pray without ceasing, without interruption of God. Why? Because the tomb has opened up the way. And we can give thanks in all things... Because we know that there is a day coming and that God is at work and he's already declared the victory that is going to be ours. This is how we live as everyday disciples. Easter is not just a day, but it is a way of life. And so I finish with these words, and these are Paul's words, not mine. As you try to live as everyday disciples, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm going to invite one of our shepherds, Craig Pracer, to come up. As we try to live these words out as a church, as, as a collection of people saying, Jesus is Lord and the tomb is empty, I'm going to invite him to pray a blessing over us, a prayer over us, for us to receive this and to be shaped and formed by this. And so what I would ask if you would, would you stand with me, please, as we receive this prayer?
1: Craig? Let's pray. Father, we are truly thankful for a congregation of believers. Father, thank you for the blessings that you give the church at Western Hills. Father, thank you for connection, for relationship, for unity, for a bond that gives us strength to work for one another and work for you. Father, I pray that this body, that everyone here will have a connection. Father, I pray that they will build relationships deep enough to admonish, encourage, help, and to be patient with. Father, I pray that you will use our body here to make an impact on the communities that we live in. Father, I pray that we will live our lives every day remembering that the tomb is empty. Father, we are truly thankful for the leadership and the staff here at Western Hills. And we just pray that we would constantly be on your mission. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.